Good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the elders here at Life Community Church, and we just want to say thank you all for um, being here with us today. We do so appreciate it. And I'm going to be reading um, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, 22, or yes, 22. <laughs> and while you're looking there, I did want to share something that has been on the elders' hearts that we've been um, talking and praying about. Um, we're going through a book um, that kind of talks about, you know, what church is supposed to look like and how, as a body of believers, we can disciple and build one another up. Um, and in that book, one of the things that the statistics told us was that it takes two times longer um, to teach the same truth to middle school and high schoolers currently than it has in the past five years. Um, and a lot of that is sadly just because of the culture that we live in, the amount of influence that the internet has on our kids and schools um, and all of that. And so um, what we're doing is we're providing an opportunity to the congregation um, to really the next couple of weeks to really pray about that and really consider about um, how you can help us um, as a body of believers build up these um, youth that um, live in my home and a lot of your homes I know so that we can um, disciple them with the truth of God um, as I, you all know that the world is trying to disciple them in their, what they're calling truth and so we do want you to be in prayer about that and then honestly consider about coming and helping CJ because um, there's a lot of rambunctious boys <laughs> some that I live with over there <laughs> that um, that do desperately need to be discipled by this body. And so please pray about that and sign up for it. And if you need more information, you can ask us and we'll give you more info about it. So, and today we're going to be reading in Luke chapter 3. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia, and Tritonius, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, 
Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, so so clear his threshing floor and the, the and to gather the wheat into the barns. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Hedonitus, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And the voice from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God as we open up God's word today and see the answer over and over. What are we to do? How do you know if you're good enough? How do you know what you're supposed to do without your spouse telling you? How are you supposed to know how to love someone without them telling you, here's my love language? Time and time again, I would just love my wife and my kids. Like, I want to be loved. We're always going, we're doing, and that's great for Harper because she wants to do those activities, but when Peyton just wants her foot massaged for five hours and I want to go and do stuff, she's never going to feel loved unless she tells me. But God, altogether, the Creator, the Almighty, the Powerful, how are we supposed to know Him and have a relationship with Him and do the things that that we would be good in His eyes, how are we supposed to know what to do? And thankfully, He gave us the Ten Commandments, which then the Jews turned into 370 plus laws. And so it was really simple. Just follow those. 370 to help you do the Ten that you can't do to begin with. So we are here in Creston, modern day, right? east of civilization in the wilderness and the desert and there's this dude who resembles Elijah and camel hair and a leather belt talk about like end time prepper to the extreme he's like all you need is not solar power just the sun and locust and honey simple just go get camel hair and a belt and you're good way out in the desert somewhere you imagine like the news cutting hey 
Russia invades Ukraine. Anyways, going over to John, we have him in a pool of water. He's baptizing people. Let's see his take on politics and the world and who, what the next you know, pastor said and what John thinks about that. This guy's in the desert and yet is captivating everyone's attention because Jesus said he's the greatest prophet, the Old Testament prophet. He was telling people what they were supposed to do. And he attracted this huge crowd. He attracted a crowd because he wasn't just a man. He was a man that had the Holy Spirit that filled him. Before birth, he had the Spirit. So when Jesus came, as we talked about a few weeks ago, in Mary's womb, and John was in his mom Elizabeth's womb, the Spirit was already filling each of them. Even though John was fully man, not God, and Jesus was fully man and fully God, we see that after 30 years in the desert, in the wilderness, John was growing in wisdom before he began his ministry. This amazing eschatological and ethical challenge that he continued in the Spirit's power to call out the difficulties and the challenges that presented themselves in the backdrop of, of their culture as he showed the way, prepared the way, as he, as we read it in verse 5, following verse 4, starting there, reading from the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, in verse 5, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It's intriguing. It's captivating. High places will be made low. Low places will be made. It's going to be smooth sailing. It's the American dream. That's where we borrowed it from right there, right? Hey, no problems. Get what you want. Work hard. Everything's going to be fine. Trust God. He'll provide. And, and we're going to, you know, do that. And so the, the challenge, though, is that followed what people forgot, what he was saying. And people got hung up on the first part of, of the message looking at, first part of Luke here, Luke chapter 3, 1 through 20, we see that he preaches repentance. It's the repentance preaching of John the Baptist that brought people's hearts. It wasn't a physical, it wasn't a, a, a financial, it was actually a spiritual, hey, the high places will be made low, and the low places will be lifted up, and, and that we're going to create this access to God. And it's for all people to repent from their sin and turn to God and believe and receive salvation, which then brings up the second point, Jesus' salvation. The salvation-giving ministry of Jesus is, is birthed as, as John reaches its, its point of fulfillment. And we see this, this unique character as, as John starts teaching repentance and preaching that. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, well, it, it just wasn't a popular topic. It wasn't what they talked about. It was, yeah, I repent, but really it's about sacrifices and, and doing these systems and, and going to the feasts and killing these animals and you do this and you do that. And really, the question remained, am I good enough? Have I done enough good? Can I continue to sin and then I just kill another animal next Passover? Is that, is that just how my life is going to be? I'm always going to be doing things that go against God. I'm going to be sleeping with people that aren't my spouse. I'm going to be spending more money. I'm going to be selfish and building my kingdom. But it's okay because Passover's coming. I'll just kill sweet little Sally. My daughter's going to have a hard time because she's got emotionally attached to the lamb. But I've sinned and I need a sacrifice and I'll just do it again and again. So you see the problem. Historically, Luke sets up the, the place and the backdrop 
with the governors. And then verse 2, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Ananias and Caiaphas, Ananias was the father, and Caiaphas was the, the son-in-law, and so Ananias got in hot water. He had to be removed from his place as the high priest, but Caiaphas, he, he manipulated and, and, and got his son-in-law in that role. And so really, Ananias was still high priest because that's who Jesus was presented to later on, we'll see in Luke. Um, but his son-in-law had the seat and the authority, so they, they both shared that position. We see that he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the distinction for John, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, John who baptized. Well, it's nothing new for, for people because Jews would baptize Gentiles that were, that were proselytites, people that came to know the Jewish religion and the God of the Jews. They would be baptized in their conversion. But John explains something altogether more controversial. He's telling the Jews that they need to be baptized. And as Acts 19 explains, John's baptism looked forward to the coming Messiah as the Old Testament prophet. While Christian baptism, our baptism looks back at the finished work of Christ. We see that when he came, John the Baptist came as a voice crying in the wilderness. Similar to Isaiah 40, 1 through 5, where it quotes, he's saying, Look, I'm doing what scripture, what Isaiah prophesied. I'm doing this, and I'm dressed the same way Elijah was. So it, it points back to the Old Testament prophet speaking, proclaiming that there is a Messiah coming. And yet, he gathered so much attention and so much notoriety that people thought he was, he was the Messiah. He was saying, hey, get ready, the Messiah's coming. Wink, wink. Everyone's like, I know, you're it, right? Like, when's this going to start? You got the people, we're behind you, let's go, John, just say the word. But some people were, were kind of hearing his message going, well, maybe it's not him. He's kind of saying there's somebody else coming. And so, interestingly enough, he's coming from the wilderness, which is where God often met the Israelites and rescued them from captivity and, and really showed up face to face. And so John's task was to prepare the nation for the Messiah and to present them ready and willing to receive their Savior. How do you get a nation who's so bent on sacrificial system, governmental control, and, over, and, and looking for that overthrowing Messiah who's going to set up his own government. How are you going to get them ready for Jesus? How do you do that? When everyone keeps asking the question, what is good? What do I need to do to be good? How do I continue? I've obeyed the Ten Commandments. I've obeyed these laws, but am I good? I don't feel it. And maybe some of you are there today where we don't feel like we're good. We don't feel like we have a good enough relationship. We need to read more. We need to pray more. We need to sing songs. We need to do. We need to give. What do we need to do? What's the one thing I need to do more of or what do I need to not be doing, because that's sin, to be right? And we see that as, as Jesus points that John, when he came, was the greatest Old Testament prophet. And John, as, as he sees Jesus show up in another gospel, hey, this is the Lamb of God who came to take the sins away from the world. He came as one crying in the wilderness. We see that when Jesus... When Jesus came, the people were ready because they heard 
John, as John was sharing about this and, and the controversial side, how he came. He came crying out, proclaiming Jesus is coming. And the, the crazy thing, I can only imagine for, for the Jews, as, they, as, as you could just imagine, the, the news cuts to John out baptizing, and all of a sudden John says, hey, I know the Jews, you understand that for Gentiles you have to verbally confess that you believe in Judaism now and you're going to follow the Ten Commandments and follow these. Uh, second thing, you know, Frank, you just became a believer in Judaism, so we're going to take you out back. You have to be circumcised. I know you're 50, but hey, here's a Smadville. And then the third thing was they had to be baptized. So Gentiles would have to, I mean, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible the Jews would have memorized. Talk about an intimidating Bible study scenario where you walk in and you're like, wait, what? You're doing all this from memory? Can I have, oh, you don't have any scrolls left? Shoot, I, have to, I don't have it memorized. Like, hey, it's okay, we're just going to circumcise you. Oh, that's what I have to do to join the Bible study. And like, yeah, and then we're going to baptize you. Oh, because I'm not clean. That's, that's right, I'm not clean. I'm a second class, I'm non-Jew. I have to be baptized in order to be in the club. So they, were, they knew this. They knew that the Gentiles were unclean and they had to be baptized as part of their inauguration and their, their commencement in, into the Jewish faith. But John wasn't saying that Gentiles had to be baptized only. John was saying, hey Jews, you have to be baptized too. John was saying, hey, this whole religious system you guys have set up, that has to change. Because the, the Savior's coming and Jew and Gentile have to believe in Jesus to be saved. It's not good enough. Stop going back to your self-righteous view that you were born into Abraham's family, so you're good. You have a license to sin. As long as you keep it under wraps and you don't commit the public sins, you just keep it private. You're good. Because there's always a lamb to sacrifice the next Passover. We see Luke 3, John pictures the self-righteous sinners as the, the snakes that slither in the grass because the fire's coming, right? And, and and he's saying, you're vipers because they're self-righteous and they have this belief that they control and dictate who is good by their standards and who is bad and deserve death by men's standards instead of saying, here's how we're saved, both Jew and Gentile. So why he came, as we see in verse 4, we read that through, from Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Get the high and self-righteous low and the, the low and, and pushed off Gentiles and bring them up and realize that we're all created in God's image and we have one Savior for all people. So Luke emphasizes the fact that Jesus was friends of tax collectors. We see in Luke 5 and Luke 15 and again in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus. John did not tell them to quit their jobs as, as, as he tells the religious people. He said, look, in verse 8, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He's saying, look, just because you're born in this Abrahamic bloodline doesn't mean you get to just focus on your family, your finances, your wealth, and disregard everyone else. Because in the beginning, God said to Abraham, You're going to go and be my people and bring the hope and the blessing of a relationship with me to the world, and instead they just hoarded it. And so John's going after that same sin problem they've had since God chose this people, the Jews, and he says, look, you're hoarding. And he says, specifically, just, just because you're born in Abraham's family, no, this is the Savior for all people, Jew and Gentile. In verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree, 
Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying, look, every prophet before me has come and just taken the axe and hacked at the tree of self-righteousness and and morals and thinking you're going to be good enough to get into heaven just because you're a tree planted in Abraham's family or you're a branch off of Abraham's family life. If you're not bearing fruit, the tree is going to get chopped down and thrown into the fire. If you are not living the way God's called you to live, you're not going to make it to heaven. So what are we to do? What's good enough? Brings up the question, oh no, I thought we were good enough. I thought sacrificing little lambs and pigeons was fine once a year, and we're going to be fine. And he says this, no, you're hoarding. And he says in verse 10, the crowd said, what then shall we do? And he answers, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. If you ever have two shirts, you can only wear one at a time. There's a little meme going around. It's like, put, put as many shirts on as you can and then take a picture of yourself. Like, just keep filling shirts. It's like um, Christmas story. You know, the, you can barely move. You just put clothes on. And it's the American dream. You just keep putting stuff on. It's like, well, I have it. I might as well use it. I can, I can afford it. I'll get another shirt. I'll get another shirt. Well, I have a pantry. And now in America, you know, if you're building a house, you can't have things like... I mean, let's just be real. That's like rude and just clutter. You can't have things on your counter. You have to have like a, a, a butler's pantry behind the kitchen, and that's where the coffee machine goes. Like, you can't have anything on your, like, come on. I'm like, oh, man, I can't even put anything down on my counter. I got my espresso machine, bananas. Like, what are you supposed to put all, yeah. You put all that behind. It's like, wow. It's a good thing in America we don't struggle with greed or, you know, finance. Pro- like, we're all about helping others and caring we don't have, I was really struggling this week talking to some friends and staff. How do I apply this? Like, do you struggle with caring for people? I don't. I mean, I know Scott's out there all day yesterday helping people, feeding the homeless. Like, Scott's like, yeah, I, I don't struggle with that at all. I'm fine. Do you struggle with that, Pastor? I don't know if you can be a pastor anymore. I'm like, oh, no. No, look at He's saying, you guys, from day one, you've thought it's about you. You thought God came to save you. But God came to save the whole world, and you're a part of it. And, and is God's love stopping with you or is it flowing through you to somebody else? Your finances, your time, your resources, are they just for you and your family? Or are you looking to a neighbor and going, oh, they don't have a shirt. I'm going I'm to lend them my shirt. Oh, they don't have food. I'm going to give them my food. And that's, to this point, it's when you have a 16-ounce budget and it's overflowing with 20 ounces of resources... The American dream says, great, get a loan for the other 12 ounces and get a 32-ounce cup. Perfect. You'll, you'll, you'll get a raise. You'll get, you're going to be, you're successful. Get a third job, and then you'll, make, you'll overflow your 32-ounce cup of resources. Instead, John's saying, hey, if you, have, if you have more resources than you need, great. Look around you. Your neighbor's hungry. Your neighbor's naked. Clothe them. Feed them. This is what you're supposed to do. The problem is, like them and like us, we can't do it. We can't do it unless Jesus changes us, unless we have the Holy Spirit in us, unless the fire of the Spirit purifies us to see the needs around us, we're not going to do it. We're just not bent that way. We're not made that way because of sin. And so John's saying, look, here's what you're supposed to do, but you can't do it. And even your religion and your Ten Commandments and your 370 plus commandments that try and help you obey the Ten You're still asking me what you're supposed to do? Just do this. Let me simplify it for you. You can't, can you? So the tax collectors piped up and they're like, hey, what am I supposed to do? And you know the conviction was there and he's like, man, 
John's going to tell me I get to quit. Finally, I get to quit. And John says, hey, go be a tax collector tomorrow. What? I thought it was sin. I thought I couldn't do it. No, you can. You, can. you just can't steal under the guise of being a tax collector. So in verse 13, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Collect no more than you're authorized to do. In, in America, just because you can vote for a bill that will take someone else's money and leave your budget fine, that's still stealing. Just because it's legislature doesn't mean it's okay. And here he's saying, hey, you're a tax collector. You're authorized to take people's money per the state, but just because you're authorized to take $5 doesn't mean you take 10 and keep four for you and give one to the officer that helped strong-arm the guy to give you money. So go be a tax collector, but do it for God's glory and take what Caesar's is Caesar's, not what Brandon wants on top of it. And so he, he rebuked him. And the second thing is, we see verse 14, soldiers also said, hey, what are we going to do? We, we can't fight. I mean, I, I'm a pacifist now. I believe in Judaism, so we can't fight, right? God's against hurting people. Turn the other cheek, I think Jesus is going to say later. I'm just kind of forecasting. I probably can't be an officer or a soldier. Like, I need to quit my job too, right, John? And John's like, no, you're, you're, what are you doing? No, stop being, you can't just go work at 7-Eleven and cash register. You're an officer. You're trained. You're in that position to defend and protect people Go defend and protect and provide that service. And he says this, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. Don't investigate someone and come to the tax collector and say, I know they gave you five, but they should have given you 20. Let's go get them for the extra 15 of profit. Don't use your power and authority for your own personal gain. He's continually going at the heart. You're all about yourself and your finances. Thankfully, this doesn't apply to any of us, right? We're never concerned more about us than others. No, this is driving right at the heart and the reality that we need someone. We need a Savior outside of us to change the most deep, dark, depraved parts of us to make them new. Because we can't just do better tomorrow. We can't just focus on someone else's needs because we might do it one day, two to a week, but a month, there's no way. You can do something for a short time, but there's no way. I'll never forget a phone call I had. Santa Clara Fire Department count called me up and said, hey, we're interviewing this guy. Frank, he wants to be a firefighter. You know him. He's on staff. Yeah, Frank's a great guy, good friend. He's on staff with the youth ministry. And he's like, yeah. And so 10 scenarios he runs through with me. And, and, and we talked briefly about competency. And it's basically just his character, just scenario after scenario. So there's a fire, and he runs in. Do you think, do you think he's going to steal... Like, if there's some money, do you think he'll take it? No, he won't take money on the table. Okay, so different scenario. He's in there, and all of a sudden there's some drugs. Do you think he'll take the weed if he sees some weed on there? He goes on a medical call, and people are distracted. Do you think he'd swipe some weed? No, he's a firefighter. Well, he's not going to smoke. What are you? What? And then, scenario after scenario, and then it finally comes up. So, you know, if he was there, and you don't think he would walk out with the TV? I'm like, What? Dude, a firefighter rolls in, and I remember when, when I was a kid, and, and my brother had a seizure, and the paramedics, and everyone shows up. There was no way I could just picture a firefighter grabbing my TV. Granted, it wasn't 65-inch flat screen. It was like a 12-inch, like 800-pound you know, tube. He'd have to like haul with the entertainment center, too, on his back. But I'm like, how is a firefighter going to take that, and then where is he going to put it? Like, dude, fr- another TV? I need to sit somewhere on the engine. Like, where are we going to... And the dogs in the back would scratch the screen. I'm like, well, who was like stealing TVs in a fire department? 
That's how depraved, and so I asked the guy, I was like, dude, is this really, like, you have to do this because I'm assuming you've had a problem. He's like, oh, you wouldn't believe how many thefts, how much, like, they roll into scenarios where there's drugs or money lying around or, or merchandise, property being stolen. And it's the people that were in that position of authority to protect were stealing. And I'm like, wow, that, yeah, I mean, the world is a dark place. And I'm a pastor, so I see bits of it, but you work with those people. You're alongside those people that are telling you, hey, what are you doing clocking out at five? Just, just, just say you clocked out at eight. No one's around. The, the night shift's not coming in. You got a couple hours. No one's going to notice. Just keep clocking out later than you actually worked. It's just a little bit off the top. You just keep, just keep stealing the swing line staplers. They're crazy with COVID. You could resell those swing line staplers like nothing. Just, just keep taking that. No one's going to notice. It's just a couple reams of paper. It's just, and that's the, that's the world. It's all about you, focusing on you. And so they're saying, what are we supposed to do? Our religion, John, he's saying, no, no. If you have more, give it away. Be content with what God's given you today. And the rabbinic saying here, he goes down in, in verse 15, as the people were in expectation, they're questioning, hey, is this, is this John, is this the Christ? In verse 16, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. That was actually a rabbinical phrase saying, hey, as uh, disciples, they would follow the rabbi. And they would, they would be covered in his dust, so to speak, because they would, they would do everything the rabbi did. They would go to the bathroom. When the rabbi went to the bathroom, they'd wash their hands. They would eat when he eats. They'd sleep when he sleeps. But the one thing they couldn't do for the rabbi was, was touch the sandals because that was so disgusting. That was only a slave's job. And John here is saying, I'm not a, I'm not a disciple doing everything, and I can, I'm not going to touch the sandals because that's gross. He's saying, I'm not worthy of a slave's position to take care of the master's feet. I'm below that. John's like, you guys don't even understand. I, my job is to, to make the path straight. My job is to prepare your hearts to see that you're in sin and need a Savior, and I'm not that Savior. I'm the messenger. He's coming. The one you need to believe in, he's coming. I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. I'm so low compared to him. So you need to understand that, that the proclamation of the repentance preaching, turn from your sin and turn to not John, not a pastor, turn to Jesus. And that is where the next step comes in because he's saying, look, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm giving you ready. I'm showing you that the Jew and Gentile have to be baptized and I'm giving you this example of water, but it's really going to be the Holy Spirit and fire. It's going to be the Spirit's baptism that saves and purifies and the fire that truly purifies and removes all sin. And it's the superiority of Jesus over John's ministry. As, as John the Baptist said, when Jesus presented himself in the Jordan River, J J John said to Jesus, dude, what are you doing? I've got to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, hey, swallow your pride, John. Just baptize me. It's supposed to be this way. I'll explain later, you know. And, and the interesting thing is Luke, the historian, interjects the needed Gentile. If you're looking at this from a Gentile perspective, you're like, okay, so who's ruling and what happened to John? How, how come he was preaching the good news? Because it says in verse 17, his winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn 
with unquenchable fire. He's using farmer language among farmers. He's using about the trees, saying, hey, this whole generational thing, if there's no, if the tree's not bearing fruit, it's going to be chopped down and burned. When, when he gathers the wheat and the chaff, he's going to take his little fork and throw the wheat in the air, and the chaff, through just natural ease, is going to be separated, and he's going to take the chaff and burn it. It's going to be separated. He's going to take the wheat to his barn and care. And that's what he's saying. Look, there's this act of separation. There's judgment. There's wrath, and it's coming soon. Believe in Jesus and be saved today. Don't wait. You know you're in sin. You know you can't give away your second tunic. It's too hard for you. You know when, when you could buy a burger for somebody else, you're just going to buy a 4x4 four four instead of give someone else a double-double. You're going to eat. like You just have to consume unless God changes you and opens your eyes to see the needs of others and you're compelled, therefore, from the Holy Spirit filling and the fire purifying to give that contentment so you can give it away. And, and so John is, is speaking directly, brashly, and he says in verse 18, so with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people, and it wasn't without calling out the government as well. Because the king position wasn't like a president we have today. The king was not only to rule, but it was also to guide the people in how to live. And so, so while we call out unmoral things from the government and our political leaders, it's, it's on a different level where the king was up here. They were the warrior, they were the priest, and they were the king all wrapped up into one. And they were the, the, the Jay-Z's of the, the, the Lecrae's. They would write the, the poems and the lyrics in, in the, whatever, Tim McGraw's. Like, they were the poet guy of the day. Like, they had it all wrapped up into one dude. Like, to be a king wasn't just like, hey, I'm a king, I can, like, fight with a fence. Like, little pokey, poke your eye out sword. It was like, massive, giant sword that'll kill, like, ten guys. And then they have a guitar, a harp in the other hand. And then they're just this moral, pure leader. And so obviously John's like, dude, this guy's a joke. He's sleeping. He's actually married his brother's wife. And he's calling out the government. And so then obviously Herod didn't like that. And so he put him in prison. And, and we see here John, the prophet. And, and some of you have, that, you have that tenacity and desire to call people out. And you love the tension. Right? Yeah, John, get in his face. Call sin, sin. And... and and in a role of a prophet and even a pastor at times, we need to call sin out, especially in the government, political leaders, because they're influencing our culture. But the problem is, so much of the time, it's like, hey, pastor, who are you going to vote for? And how are you going to shepherd the church and tell them to vote for someone? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. We, we have a unique role because they're not the same king position, but we have Scripture. And we know that if a candidate ran on, on a platform of slavery, there's no way we would vote for that. There's no way th from Scripture we would want to enslave a person based on, based on either political, financial, or color of their skin. Like, there's no way we'd want that. And when we look at Scripture, abortion is systematically attacking African American and Hispanic demographics. So we're going to vote against that. We're going to say, hey, this is a... A platform, this is from Scripture. As believers, here's an issue we need to pray for. 40 days of life's coming up. We need to not just pray, but be active and, and, and have a conversation about this and call out when there's immorality and when there's platforms and legislature that goes against freedoms. At the same time, John's preaching the gospel, though. So we always need to keep in check where are we in, in the context of what's God calling us to do? 
Because, because for many of you, you have one to three minute conversations and is it about Jesus or is it just about your, your political persuasion or is it just about something you disagree with? And I, I, I challenge as, as the church to go and preach the gospel, you're going to have to have moments like John. And some of you may be called to be a John, but there, there's very few. So not everyone's going to take a, play, a, a page out of John's playbook and start championing every little thing and, and calling everything out because, you know, some would argue, well, his ministry would have lasted longer if he would have re- read How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, that would have been a great book for, for John to kind of think through some leadership podcasts maybe. You know, Dave Ramsey, he's, he's one of those kind of John the Baptist guys, but maybe just kind of think about how to tone that down and not every time shout at people, but maybe kind of tone it down every once in a while. But the difference is, for us, John was setting up Jesus, and now we're pointing people to Jesus. And we have to recognize who God's called us to be, and to be messengers of the gospel. Because it's still the same fear. You still could end up in prison and lose your head. And you're not having to speak nearly as harsh as John the Baptist did. You're just saying, Jesus, and it's, it's enough. In our government, for the first time since Hitler created lists, now our government has lists of people who wanted a religious exemption from a shot. So, so we have a reality where we're in days where the government is moving back towards this overreaching. And at the same time, our priority is preaching the gospel. It's saying, yeah, that's wrong, but here's Jesus. He's the Savior. Yeah, that's wrong, but here's the King. He's coming to save and that's what John was doing. And we see that Jesus is the only one that can authorize salvation, provide salvation. And we see here, he is among everybody. As, as, the, as the historian just goes, yeah, here's all the stuff that happened to John. And then verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. He just sneaks it in there. One verse. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on, time out. Like, you couldn't have talked to Matthew or... Or Mark, or like, what happened there? What? John talked about John the Baptist saying, hey, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But Luke's like, yeah, he's just another guy. Because from his perspective, he's talking about the humanity of Jesus, saying this guy is fully human and in line. Jesus didn't roll up and go, hey, I, I was praying this morning, and I have 10 a.m. God's going to open the heavens. i got to be first, and then i got to go do this, and i got to do that, and i got to go... Like 40 day of fasting, can we wrap, I'm like really anxious about that, can we just get me baptized, I gotta go do some, some jukes and, and wrestle and throw down with the devil for 40, like we gotta do this now. No, Jesus just sat there in line, which if you're like me would have been excruciating, you're like oh my goodness, really, I'm Jesus, I have to wait in line like everybody else, just gonna go get baptized, I know everything John's saying because I'm like the spirits in me is in him and I'm telling him what to say, so let's just, let's just go, but he's patient And he walks in the water just like everybody else walks in the water. He comes out. He's praying like everyone else did. And all of a sudden, unlike anybody else, the heavens open. This is one of three times the heavens open and God audibly speaks. The Holy Spirit comes down. The Holy Spirit has already been in John and Jesus. Remember, John in Mary's womb. Jesus, no, John's in Elizabeth's womb. Jesus is in Mary's womb. They meet. And the Holy Spirit in both their wombs confirms in John this is Jesus, and, and John starts doing flips. And the Holy Spirit's already there. So 
as Christians, we can debate and filling and sealing and when and how, and do they do a backflip first, and then do you speak in tongues after, or do you get punched in the face last, or do you get the soda later, or do the Tesla show up when you're sealed with the Spirit? Like, how does that work? And where's the fire? Because that's what I'm, I'm wondering about as a pyro. Like, where's the fire? So, simply put, Luke's just, hey, the Holy Spirit has already been moving, convicting, saving, and looking at Ephesians, we looked at Paul reflect on this. God planned it. God the Father planned it. Jesus secured it. And the Holy Spirit seals our salvation. So here, when Jesus is baptized, he's already had the Holy Spirit, but it comes down announcing, proclaiming, saying, authorizing, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. And he's starting his ministry with the Spirit's power. Just like us, fully human. So we see this picture of the Lord's baptism is the work of His redemption that He would accomplish on the cross. That the Holy Spirit would be in Jesus. As Jesus, being fully man, having to do everything religiously, according to God's law, perfectly, so that He was without sin. Baptized. So that He would say, look, as I'm baptized, I'm going under the water, I'm going to be buried in the ground, and then three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. And that's where, where Paul reflects on it in Romans 6, saying this is joining with Jesus in his death and burial, and then his resurrection. Baptism is this image of our salvation spiritually. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit, and the fire is what purifies us. And why do we need that purification? And how can Jesus purify us? I thought he just atoned. I thought he just paid for our sin. The only way he's able to remove our sin and give us new life is that he lived the sinless life so then as as he talks in in first corinthians paul does there's a great exchange that takes place where jesus not only pays for our sin and our debt he exchanges our sin-filled life with his righteous perfect life on the cross and that is the good news that's what john's preparing their hearts and saying look it's not just getting your sins paid for now you're supposed to go and actually be able to give your second tunic to somebody now you're actually able to go and feed someone who's hungry because you're content because god's purified you with the fire of the holy spirit and now you're empowered with the holy spirit to be content and not be anxious that you might someday maybe need a second shirt what happens if you, if you spill in and out on your shirt? You're going to need the second shirt and you just gave it away. Now what are you going to do? You're going to go find that homeless guy. Hey, I need that shirt back. Here, you can have mine. It's, it's I don't know, some in and out. Hey, it's later. Snack for later. No, that's not, that's so selfish and it's so revealing of our heart that Jesus has to live the sinless life in order to exchange his perfect life with our sin-filled life at the cross. And so there's the two parts that, that Luke's setting up there and telling Theophilus, a young believer, and telling us that Jesus not only came and paid for our debt, but he exchanged his right-filled righteous life with our wrong-filled indebted life at the cross. And that's what's so beautiful about this picture, is that the Father planned it, Jesus the Son accomplished it, and the Spirit sealed it. And we have to see the Spirit's moving, shaping, and making salvation possible in these first couple chapters as we see Jesus being fully man and yet fully God. So as Luke interrupts the narrative here with a genealogy, we're gonna, we've got snacks coming in, we'll be here for another hour or so, and we're going to go through kind of, there's some great characters I want to fill out for you guys, just kidding. 
Um, but the genealogy here is, is, is unique because as a historian, sometimes Luke just throws some facts in there. He's like, oh yeah, here, Theophilus, you know this. He's making the point that many people, when they do genealogies, they don't go with, with the mom's side, they go with the dad's side. But here Luke goes and, and continues the genealogy trail with Mary's side and brings it all the way back to Adam. So we see in verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. He's bringing it back saying, look, Adam was the first man who sinned. And because one man sinned, sin entered the world. And so we needed another man to come who wouldn't sin to pay for our sin and remove that sin that we have. So you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He was pleased in retrospect because Jesus had lived 30 sinless years as the righteousness of God. You see, when that Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, God wasn't then pleased after that. God was always pleased. You're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And that's what we all long to hear as believers. And as an unbeliever, we long for you to hear that with us instead of be away from me, I never knew you. Who are you? You're like the chaff. You're going to go burn. And you're like the tree that didn't have fruit. I'm going to chop you down and throw you in hell. That's horrifying. And that's why John and we preach good news that you can be saved if you believe in Jesus. That's it. And then what do you do? If you believe and die, does that mean you didn't have fruit because you weren't baptized? You weren't sealed with the Spirit? You weren't speaking? You weren't doing? You weren't healing? No. You're saved. The Holy Spirit sealed you and the Spirit purified you. You just didn't give it time for that fire to purify fully. And for us, as we think about this this way, Christ, the Son of God, became the Son of Adam, that we, sons of Adam, might become sons of God. We might, if we believe. It's not we might become sons of God if we give away our second tunic or, or, or our extra loaf of bread. No, if we just believe in Jesus. And we're always going to be in process and making progress, but Jesus was perfect. And he said, look, I'm going to exchange my perfect, sinless life with your problem-filled, sinful life. Enjoy it. You get the better end of the deal. And yet, as sinful men and women, we're blinded and we go, no, that's a horrible idea. That's a horrible deal. Like, what? No, sign before he changes his mind. That's an amazing deal. And on Calvary, Jesus paid the price and said, here's my sinless life. It's yours. Let me take your sin-filled life. And now you too are sons and daughters and you will hear at the end of your life, well done, good and faithful servant, because you have His perfect life to live. And He's removed your sin-filled life. And God cannot say to a flawed humanity, here, here's just a sinless life. Unless Jesus lived a sinless life and died on the, the cross, the death we deserved, and as we believe now, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5. And upon these new creations, God's sons and daughters, he's pleasure and his spirit not only indwells, but seals. You can't lose your salvation. The question for us as we think about this repentance preaching of John the Baptist turning from sin and turning to God, while the spirit is, is much like a pilot light that will never go out, are you turning the fire on? Are you adding fuel to the fire? Are you allowing 
We have a little gas furnace in our house, so it's not as cool and doesn't smell as original as the legit ones, you know. But are you at turning the, 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 the gas on? Are you putting the logs on the fire where that, that, that pilot light will never fully go out? The Holy Spirit's never going to be fully quenched, but it will be kind of cold and drafty, and, and it's never going to be as bright and, and full of life and warmth as your life could be if you read the Word daily and if you prayed and you allowed your, your mind to always be stayed on Christ and experience that peace that God gives because of the salvation that you believed in Jesus. And now you're going to be known by your love as you love others and as you care for others and you use the resources and times that God's given you to invest in His kingdom, not just your own. And that's possible because as we simplify this conversation with, with John and, and teaching on repentance and then Jesus coming and giving us salvation, it's, it's the fact that Jesus identified with sinners like you and me to make, it appro- to make Him approachable so all would know Jesus alone sets us free. It's only Jesus. It's always only been about Jesus. And as we come to Jesus again, still we may ask the question, what must I do? And he's like, I've already done it for you. What are you talking about? What must you do? Believe. Believe that I've set you free. Believe that I've forgiven that sin you committed yesterday. Believe that tomorrow is a new day. Today is new. My, my mercy is new. And if you confess your sin and repent, boom, done. You have my perfect sinless life. Go live it for my glory and you're good. Go experience the goodness now and forevermore. The world's on fire. Russia's invaded Ukraine. And all our politicians are complaining about is like climate change, COVID still somehow, and and trying to get... No, there's no hope politically. There's no hope religiously. The only hope is Jesus. And that's why we come again and say, look, we got to lift up Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, and then go love your family, love your community, because he's coming back for us. And are we ready? I don't know. I think a lot of us want to hope and think we're ready, but we see here we can have that assurance that Jesus brought us in and adopted us into God's family tree if we believe and we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and that spirit will purify us like fire so we will look and live like Christ as we come together and close this salvation is what the Holy Spirit does and he's moving in this room and he's probably encouraging you strengthening you maybe convicting you telling you hey that thing you wanted to do that you no, don't do it that's sin and there's a thing he's telling you to do Maybe it's share the gospel with a family member, a coworker. Maybe it's, hey, I need, to, I, I need the gospel for me. I need to know that Jesus identified with sinners. Jesus knows the hurt and the challenges and the pain that you're feeling right now, and he came to comfort you and to save you. So all would know Jesus alone sets us free. Stop trying to think about something else you have to do, but come to Jesus who's already done it all for you. And as we gather it, and remember that if you haven't yet believed in Jesus, God's wrath was supposed to be poured out on you. And at Passover, there was a cup full of wine and they waited for Elijah or someone to come tell him what to do with it. And it was God's wrath that was poured out intended for you and I, but Jesus took our place. So as we go to God, we can because Jesus took the wrath and the, the punishment so we can pray to God. So as we pray as believers, we know he's hearing us. And for those of you that have yet to believe, we we invite you to come trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior now and say, yeah, Jesus, you're God, and you died on the cross to remove my sin. You were 
on the earth for 33 years, sinlessly living so that that payment would not only remove my sin, but exchange my sin-filled life with your sinless life. And now I'm set free. So you just cry out to God and, and, and pray that prayer. I believe, Jesus, that you're God and you died and rose again and set me free and forgave me of my sins. So I'm gonna give you a chance to pray that prayer or talk to the Lord and let the Spirit move and, and I'll come up and close this in a minute.